sermon. Before I get started, I also want to let you know this. This weekend, I've been thinking about 9-11 a lot. I'm actually going to open up in prayer here, but I want to read a psalm. Because I've been thinking about the 20-year anniversary of September 11th and, um, and what that was like for all of us. For some, some of us were too young here, but others of us, we remember that day. We remember it plain and the things that were happening. And we watched before our eyes as our country literally was changing and we're watching something real similar right now, only it's spread out. Instead of one day, it's spread out over a year and a half. But I started thinking through that, and this psalm came to mind. I want to read Psalm 62. I want to read the first eight verses before we pray. Just thinking about 9-11 and what we're remembering this weekend. It says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. You ever felt like a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, you wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Will you pray with me before we look at the word? Father, we pause. We just pause as we think about what happened 20 years ago, the lives that were lost, the, the violence that was done. God, the people who were brave that stepped up and, and all the consequences for 20 years and still going, still counting from that day. God, we look to you. God, we, we look to you. We, we want you to be our shelter. We want you to be our refuge, refuge. We want you to be our hope. God, I pray as we look back on that day, we would, we would look back and we would remember what happened and we'd be filled with a trust in you. God, we're all vulnerable, but you're strong. And so I pray that we would find ourselves looking to you over and over and over again. We, we pray as we continue to worship God, I pray that you would help me to teach today. I pray you would help all of us to hear what you would say to us. But God, we look to you and you alone as our only hope. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna be in the book of Acts. We're still continuing our series on Acts. Um, Acts is basically the start of the church. It's, the Spirit comes on to the scene. There's this movement by the Holy Spirit that literally rocks the world of 120 people who are eh, so-so. They did all right at following God, kind of. Uh, they, they tripped up along the way. They, they bailed on him. They constantly missed it, but they, did, they got one thing right. Jesus said, go wait. And they went, and they waited, and they prayed, and then God sent the Spirit, and then that literally flipped their life upside down so that they're literally changing the whole world and taking the gospel to every man, woman, and child in the known world. These 120 average weak, maybe even below average people that were somewhat cowardly, God uses, and listen, the church just explodes on the scene. I mean, here's Peter, and he stands up and preaches this sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. 
3,000 people. Not even one good story in the whole thing. 3,000 people get saved. It's awesome. Just because the Spirit was working and the message was strong. And then immediately, we saw last week, that the church, like they had no real plan. They just knew the gospel. And so they decided, we're going to be with each other. We're, we're going to be in community. We're going to be eating meals together. and We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be praying. We're going to be studying the word. Like That's what we're going to do. And people keep getting saved over and over and over again. So we pick up with the church exploding on the scene and people getting saved. And, and it's all brand new. Acts chapter 3. Listen, listen to this. I, this is a high point, man. Everything is going great for them in Jerusalem at the start of this church. I mean, it's, it's happening, and it's happening quickly. In Acts chapter 3, here's what we see. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So, so 3 p.m., they're rolling up. It's time to pray. That's what the Jews do. So they're, they're showing up. That's, they're going to meet other church people, I'm sure, uh, to pray and then to study the word because they were doing that literally every day. And there was a man who was lame from birth. He was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. He's asking alms of those entering the temple. So, so here's this guy. Peter and John going up. It's 3 p.m. And there's this dude that's been lame since he was born. He was born and he couldn't walk. I mean, all babies are born that can't walk. That's not what he's saying there. But he, he literally had some defect, some issue that he could not walk. And his whole life, his whole life, he had no hope. He, he had nothing. His only hope, his, his future was secure in this that he would live out his days as a beggar in extreme poverty and he would probably die in misery. His only hope for sustenance was that people would carry him every day to the temple and he would lay down that gate and he would just lay in the, in the dirt and in the ground and just have his hands up saying, you got any money for a cripple guy? You got any money for a cripple guy? Over and over and over again. Can, can you just take a moment and imagine that guy's life? Imagine how humiliating it is to be so needy that the only way you provide for yourself, you're at the point that you are literally begging every single day. That, that, that'll break a man. I mean, that'll make, you, that'll make you feel low. I mean, like, real, real low. You even see later, he's just going through people. He just, he's gotten over the embarrassment. He's not embarrassed anymore of it. He's just low. You know, you know this from the Jews back in the day because of some interactions that Jesus had. And that when Jesus was still alive, there's one story in the Gospels where he's walking and there's this guy that's born lame and his disciples ask him a question. They say, Jesus, who sinned to make this guy lame? Him or his parents? They, they want to know, like this guy's been lame since he was a baby. Someone had to sin for that happen. Was it because his parents were bad or because somehow in the womb he cursed God? Think about that mindset and then think about this man. What was it like for this man to always be a burden to his parents and then for his parents to wonder, are you this way because of something I did or are you just bad at your core? And I wonder if anyone ever said to him, this is your fault. You're so wicked and twisted, you deserve everything that you get because at some point as a baby, some point you curse God in your heart. You're so wicked. You're more wicked than the rest of us. That's why you're in this situation. What does that do to a man? Listen, that's, that's despair and 
hopelessness and complete brokenness and just accepting the fact that you've got no hope. You're gross, you're disgusting, and you're just going to be in poverty. Man, I, I look at this guy and my heart kind of goes out as I, as I think about that. Like, here's this guy and he's got nothing and he's just begging every single day. And then I ask this question, how does a guy live at the time of Jesus and never try to go find him to get healed? You ever wonder that question? I mean, he didn't have any family that said, bro, there's this guy, Jesus, man. He's going around healing people. We got to get you to meet him. I mean, there's always a crowd around Jesus. Like, not just 100. We're talking like five, ten thousand 10,000 people everywhere he goes. And nobody said, Jesus is three miles away. Let's go get you healed. He apparently never said, listen, I got to go see Jesus. What kind of despair do you got to live in that there's a dude healing and you're like, I'm out, man. This is, he, he doesn't want to heal me. I deserve this. Like, I, and listen, I know that's conjecture, but I'm, I got to ask that question. How is there a cripple guy still in Jerusalem with Jesus running around for three years? Right? Like, man, this dude, it's not like it's new. His whole life. And, and I think that tells us this guy had no hope. And he might not have even had much faith. He didn't have enough faith like that woman that came up behind and said, let me just touch the back of his, his uh, robe. He didn't have the faith of the centurion that's like, don't, I don't need you to go and touch my daughter. Just say the word and she'll be, be healed. He didn't, he didn't even have that, man. He just said, it is what it is and I'm in it. And I probably deserve it. No hope. No future. No faith, maybe. You're this guy... And Peter and John come walking in to pray. And man, listen, I can't help but think about this. I think about the people that we pass by every single day. Because they say in verse 3, they're see, he sees Peter and John, they're about to go in the temple, and he asks to receive alms. Right? You've seen this dude, this lady on the side of the road by Walmart, right? You've seen him with the sign. Whether it's a true story or not, I don't want to, I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to get into that. You've seen the person. You've met the person, and, and here's what, what amazes me about Peter and John, or what I love about it. They looked at this dude not like a problem. They didn't look at him like he was some kind of plague on their culture, like a burden. They looked at him like a human, like an eternal soul, like someone that needed love. They looked at this man as a person that had a story. Man, church, if there's something that the gospel should do among the church of Jesus Christ, it's that we don't look at people as problems. We look at them as people made in the image of God who have a story. And that's what the gospel should be doing in us. We, and listen, I, I know it can be hard sometimes. You can get mad about whatever. There's so many issues. We need to get over that and just remember this. That person has a story. That they have an eternal soul that will spend eternity somewhere. Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you and me. He died for the person that live in Live Oak just as much as he died for the people living in the woods by Walmart. Same death, same love, same value from the creator. Church, let's never be a people that begin to look at people as 
less than human. And, and we're in it right now, right? We look at people in like categories, vaccinated, unvaccinated, pro-mandate, anti-mandate, right? 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 We, we, like somehow we're getting worse at this. And, and the gospel says, no, 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 no. No matter what you do about the vaccine, no matter about your view of politics, no matter about your race or your upbringing or your financial status, you're a human being made in the image of God, loved by him, cared for by him, and he wants you. Church, if we believe that's true, that changes the way we interact with every man, woman, and child that we ever meet, no matter how rough they are or how clean they are. I love this. And so Peter and John, they look at this dude, and I love, I love what they do here. Um, it's, it's very Baptist-y. I don't know how else to say it. Um, verse 4, this guy's asking for alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And he said, look at us. Uh, apparently this guy's like, money, money. He's, he's already moved on. He expects a denial. I just got to get my hand out to as many people as possible, right? I just, like, the lights already turned green. That car's rolling. That's what's going on there. And Peter and John are rolling the window down, saying, hey, hey, come here. Look at me. Look at me. Right? See that moment? Like he said, I need you to look at me. The dude doesn't even want to make eye contact is the picture I see. You ever been so beat down and feel so low you can't look someone in the eye? I think he might not even be able to look at him. I said, look at us. In verse 5, and he fixes attention on them expecting to receive something. He's like, oh, listen, they got money. I'm looking. Right? So I'll, I'll take the uncomfort and the shame for a couple, some loose change here to get some meals. So he looks at the dude and he looks at Peter, and, and Peter says this. This is bad news. He says this in verse 6. I have no silver and gold. Well, dude, what are we doing here, man? <laughs> like, what are, okay, why am I looking at you exactly? He's like, I don't, I don't have any money. He says this. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. <laughs> Listen, he, here's why I love this. First of all, at his bold. Like, I mean, Peter just like, hey, bro, I don't, I don't have any change on me. But look, Come here, look at me. Here's what I got. I got Jesus, and I'm giving him to you. Let's get healed right now. And this dude, okay, we're going to get into that in a second, but I can't help it. I go down this path because immediately I remember stories uh, of people I've talked to that were waiters and waitresses. Um, I don't know why I go here. This is a side note. Just go with me on the rabbit trail. You ever seen that $100 bill track? No? Y'all seen this thing? Okay, if you haven't, let me tell you the horror of the $100 bill track. It looks like a $100 bill. And church people used to, I've heard stories of this from waiters and waitresses, zero tip. They leave the $100 track with a note that says, listen, I got something better than a 15% tip for you. I've got how to get to eternal life. And, I'm, and listen to me, okay. Don't use what Peter and John did here as an excuse for you to be stingy to you. If you're going to leave a track, or you're going to share the gospel, leave a big tip, dadgummit. Okay? Like, good grief. Okay, I'm, I'm moving on. That's a total side note. But he looks at him, and here's what he's doing. Like, I think if Peter would have had change, I think he probably would have given it to this guy. I don't think he had money. But what he did is he said, I'm going to meet your real need. I got a need that I'm going to meet that you don't even imagine is possible for me to meet. You want 20 cents? I'm going to make you walk. Dude, this, is, this is awesome. Like He's not just saying, here, here's some change. Man, I did what Jesus wanted me to do. He's meeting a need that is just, I mean, it's just outlandish. I'm not telling you to go out and start trying to 
get every lame person and put your hands on them and heal them. I'm just saying, dude, he met a real need. He, he met a real need. He showed compassion and love. There's tons of crippled dudes in Jerusalem. Why this guy? I don't know. I just know he came across him and he looked at him with love and compassion and God moved in him to do a work. And dude, I, I can't even imagine this scene. This dude that hasn't walked since he was born. He's never walked in his entire life. He's always been carried. He's always been a burden. He's always been dependent. Never been able to stand up on his own two feet. Verse 7 And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Listen, what happens next makes total sense to me, right? If I've never walked, never, I've only seen people walk. Bro, you heal me in that moment, I got a lot of walking to do. I mean a lot of walking to do. I've got like 40 years of catch up. Like I gotta, I gotta bring it, I'm walking everywhere. I'm high stepping, I'm jumping, I'm lunging, I'm doing whatever is in, I'm river dancing all the way into the temple. You ever seen river dance? Like you've ever seen the, uh, like it's, it's gonna get real. I can't dance and I don't care, but I'm letting it rip. I'm tap dancing, I'm Fred Astaire, I'm whatever I gotta be. That's what this dude turns into. Verse 9, and leaping up, he's like, woohoo! Like, he ain't, he's not like, I guess I'll, okay. Like, dude, that dude is up. He's leaping. He's jumping up. Like, he felt it. God worked. God moved it. He knew it right away, and he was not going to be dignified about it. He didn't care if everyone in the temple looked at him, he didn't care what was appropriate behavior in the courtyard. He just knew God did something, and it was on, man. And here's what he starts doing. Like, I got to be careful. Y'all might start jumping around in here. I, I don't know. He stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, and he's walking and leaping and praising. Like, it's, it's not quiet, you guys. He's not over here going, this is sweet. No, dude, it's loud. He's like, man, this is, you guys got to see this. That, you see that? That works. That didn't work like two minutes ago. That didn't work. This one, this one too. It didn't work. Like he's, I mean, just, you got a picture crazy. I'm, I'm half tempted to lose my mind up here, but I'm afraid I'll trip and fall. Um, I, like, I just, the high stepping, screaming, shouting, praising God. He's not trying to make a scene about him. He's trying to point people to Jesus. Like this, this dude's like, man, you guys, and a crowd comes, man. They show up. They start crowding around because there's something crazy going on over there. You've seen that. Something gets crazy. Everyone's looking. Everyone's walking over. Verse 10, and they recognize him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. That's the dude that walked by they didn't give any money to. Right? That, or that's the guy I gave a dollar to. Whatever. Like, he's running around all over the place screaming, shouting. What's gotten into that guy? And they say this. They're filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, if you're not careful, you'll think that's enough. It's not enough to see God work and be amazed by him. It's going to have to get to Jesus. But before I get there, because Peter's going to do that in a minute. But before I get there, church, I, I just want to hear something. We, we've talked about the fact that your story of your encounter with Jesus is a powerful tool to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like This guy, this was not a rehearsed practice car salesman pitch. Okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I got the formula. Okay, here we go. Well, I can almost see the, 
there was this time that I couldn't walk. And then I met this guy named Peter and John, and then they healed me, and it was because of Jesus, and now I can walk. Like, it wasn't dry, it wasn't sterile, it wasn't like fake, it was real and authentic. It actually matched what was happening in their life. Like, this guy wasn't perfect. I'm sure he had all sorts of dysfunction. But what happened is he had a real encounter with God, so when he spoke about it, people were like, I don't know about his life, but something's real there, and it created room for the gospel of Jesus. Church, I, I want to encourage you. I, like, when Jesus works, share it. Like, share it. When he's really working in your heart, tell people about it. Don't be fake and, like, rehearse. Like, just be you. Don't, don't sit there and go, I've done too much. I can't tell them what Jesus did. Like, it doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what Jesus is doing right then in that moment in your heart. Don't sit there and say, well, they don't want to hear from me. They might not, but it isn't about you. It's about what Jesus is doing in you. Don't hold it in. Don't suppress it when Jesus works. Tell people, not just unsaved people, tell people next to you at church we should be telling each other all the time what Jesus did in our life this past week when we get together. And it shouldn't have to be forced and put in. Maybe hard. Maybe I'm just struggling. And I've had a hard week and things have felt heavy, but I've been sitting in the Psalms and I kept remembering that Jesus was my fortress. That should be normal talk for us. But, but instead we get constrained. You, you feel that? You ever feel the constrained? The, the boxed in? The... the the fear, the, the fear of lack of acceptance, the fear of just saying it all wrong. Like, let me just tell you, um, when my first son was born, uh, there was an, an experience that happened in me. And it didn't matter how much I stumbled over my words. It didn't matter if I couldn't get it right. I just said, dude, I just, I just had a son, and he's phenomenal, and I don't even know the right word to say, but look! <laughs> Right? Like, uh, fear of you thinking, man, that dude's losing his brain over a little baby. I didn't care because I had a baby. Right? Well, my wife had the baby, but I was holding the baby. I didn't care if you thought I was a lunatic. I didn't care if you thought my son was ugly. I mean, I cared, but it wouldn't, don't tell me. I didn't care. It was beautiful to me. I didn't care that he kept me up all night and I couldn't have words to say. I just, sometimes if I just said, dude, I got nothing. Just look at that. I didn't care because there was something real that was happening, and it, it caused me to have freedom to share what was going on. And I think I would have missed a lot of joy. I think my friends and family and neighbors would have missed a lot of joy if all I did was like, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to say it wrong. I, right? Like, it, if I hold it in, I'm going to miss joy. It, if I hold it in, you're going to miss joy. Let's not be a people that don't talk about what Jesus has done in our life. Do it when we're together. Do it when we're out and about. We should be telling people authentically what Jesus does. But listen, man, it, it gets more. It gets more? It gets more better? I, don't, I was supposed to say it gets better, and I said more, and then... Anyways, verse 11. 
says this, and, and I love this too. So this crowd is gathering around, and it says this verse 7, while he clung to Peter and John. I'm going to hit pause again, more talk about loving people here. I need you to picture this. This dude is not like just standing in the vicinity of Peter and John. Dude, he's got hands on these guys. Like, like he's grabbing, he ain't letting go. Nobody is going to separate this guy from Peter and John. Like, we've got a stage nine clinger right now. He is all over them. You are not getting this dude off. And let me tell you what I love about this. What I love about this. I've got this dude that cannot bathe himself. I've got this man that's been sitting in the dirt begging for his whole life. And if he wants to get bathed, someone's going to have to pick him up and do it for him. I promise you it didn't happen often. This man did not smell pleasant. And I don't think Peter and John cared. They were like, dude, I just, that's a new robe. I'd appreciate it if you could just, like, Someone get him some deodorant. Get some Old Spice that spritz it on him and move on here, right? Or Axe, whatever we're doing nowadays. Old Spice is for my dad's generation and Brute. And then, anyways, like, dude, like, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> just move on to the passage. I, I love the fact that they love this man and they're not afraid of him getting dirty or stink on them. They, they love him and they don't mind that he's all over them. Like, church... There are a lot of acts of love that we will miss out executing if we're just afraid of getting some dirt on us. And if you're afraid of someone getting you dirty, they know it. You don't even have to go, ooh. You don't have to. They see tense, right? Like that moment. Like, let me tell you, if you're going to do acts of love, it's going to get messy. It's going to cost you your hat. Listen, you want to love people and have them over to your house, your house will get messy. It's going to cost you. You, you want to love someone that you don't know and you let them into your car. I, this I know. Your car is going to smell. Right? You had that moment happen? Like it smells and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know. Like I can roll the window down for so long, but that smell doesn't seem to be going away. Like, if you're so afraid of getting it on you that you're not, you don't love the person in front of you, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities to do gospel work among people. We, we can't be afraid of getting dirty. We can't be afraid of these pews getting dirty. Those pews are meant to be filled with people who are here to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what they did last night or what they smell like, or what's on them. We want them here. We want to love them. We're not going to be worried about them staining the pews. We're not going to be worried about ruining the carpet. We're not going to be worried about it looking rougher and not dressed right. No, we're going to worry about their souls, and we're going to love people that show up here because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. Dude, I love the fact they love this man so much. It's little things like he clung to him. And all the people that are utterly astounded, they run together to them, and they're in a Solomon's porch, and here's what Peter does, verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Dude sees a crowd, and he's like a, a stereotypical preacher. Well, now's my moment. I'm preaching a sermon. Like, there's a crowd. I'm preaching. Apparently, that's what Peter's doing here. And listen, he is going to make sure that this gets back to Jesus. Look at what he does here. Verse 12, men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? 
I love it. Peter's got to make it real clear. Hey, why are you shocked right now? You think it's because I'm strong? You think that I'm really good? That's not what made that man walk. Like, like Peter is going to make sure that no one accidentally connects this to him. He, he's like, no, 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 you, let's get this real clear. There's a person that healed, and his name is not Peter or John. His name is Jesus. And, and church, let me just tell you, sometimes I, I get concerned that we live these lives in front of people, and we don't make sure that the glory, we don't connect the dots back to Jesus every time. We connect it to church or to a program or to a ministry or even to ourselves being good. No, no, no. Peter's not going to let that happen. That dude's saying it goes to Jesus every single time. He drives it there. I, Heard a story, I read a story once, I hope it was true, but I'm going to always hesitate on these things, but it was a story about a guy that uh, went to an evangelist crusade and he got saved, and he, so he's challenged at the crusade, you need to go tell someone about Jesus, so he goes back to work and says, I'm telling my boss, so he goes into his boss's office, you can imagine the nerves, right, like the, oh man, I got to tell my boss, I mean, I don't know, he's never talked about Jesus, I'm probably getting fired, who knows, uh, maybe not thinking that, but he goes and he says, I, I got to tell you what happened this weekend. I went to this crusade, and I placed my trust in Jesus. And, and the boss goes, man, that is awesome. I've been a Christian since I was a kid. And the story goes that the guy who had gotten saved looked at him and was just incredulous. He was like, what? Listen, you never said a word to me. He said, this whole time, uh, I actually stalled placing my trust in Jesus because I thought, well, if that guy can do it on his own, then so can I. You see, living a good life quietly is not the same as sharing the gospel. At some point, this guy had to not let the credit go to, you're just a good man. It had to go to, Jesus is a good man. Jesus is a good savior and he's working in me. Don't, don't fall down the trap of being a quiet witness and it never gets back to Jesus. That's not the mission. And Peter's gonna make sure, no, 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 don't think it's me and my power or my piety, my cleanness, verse 13. And dude, Peter gets aggressive. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our father. He's talking to a Jewish crowd. It's God. And he glorified his servant, Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus did this. And man, I, I love this. He, here's Peter. I think he's doing this missional living, and he wants to make sure that this gets back to Jesus. And Church, I, I, I want to I tell you, I want to challenge you in this moment, not just to live your life quietly, but I want you to live your life intentionally so that you can have conversations about Jesus where you live, where you work, where you learn, and where you play. I want you to live life on purpose so you can have gospel conversations. Let me give you a few mission ideas that are going on in my head. I think I've shared some of these before. Here's the point. Um, if Peter thinks that this healing is supposed to point to Jesus and every chance he gets he wants to point to Jesus, I started thinking, well, what are ways I can live my life that point to Jesus? And I thought, you know what? My marriage is about Jesus. So me and my wife are talking about how we should live our life and our schedule. We should be asking, what are ways for us to live on mission with our, with our neighbors? How are we going to demonstrate Jesus? How are we going to schedule our life for Jesus. My family is about Jesus. So when I look at my kids and say, what I'm going to put them into, I, I say, okay, maybe I want to do City League soccer. But City League soccer is not about my kids kicking each other in the shins for two months. It's a mission opportunity. I'm showing up there and I'm saying, dude, 
Who does God want me to, to build a relationship with? Who does he want me to talk to? I'm signing up for snacks so I can bring the best snacks in the history of snacks that I'm the one the coach depends on, that I'm showing up and I'm delivering there so I can be a good light, so I can talk about Jesus. I'm asking this question, who can I invite to dinner after practice? Who can I have over to my house? And not do some weird shoehorn way to get Jesus in, but just tell them about Jesus or ask them, do you go to church anywhere? Like just ask some questions and learn their story. Or, or maybe if you view your job, not just your family as as pointed Jesus. Your job is a way to point to Jesus. You show up at work and you're saying, okay, how do I point people to Jesus here? I gotta, I gotta do my job. But then maybe you say, I'm gonna take one lunch break a week and I'm gonna go hang out with coworkers. I'm just gonna go eat lunch, build relationship, and maybe the game plan for you is you invite them to church or even better, maybe you invite them to serve next to you. You build a relationship, you build a friendship, and you're like, you know, we got this trunk or treat at our church and I wanna make the most awesomest, trunk in the history of trunk or treats do you want to partner with me bro just you don't have to be a christian to decorate a trunk here get your unsafe friend next to you making the best trunk with crazy candy and let them have fun passing out candy with you let them serve alongside of you and and hang out with them and have meals with them and watch fsu football games with them or whatever football team you watch and find a way to talk about jesus or maybe you're getting to know your neighbor and you're inviting them over to watch the game and have a cookout on Saturdays. Or maybe you're a student at school and you're looking for the other students who are lonely or outcast, not because they're easy prey, but because they're lonely. And you want to invite them into your community and your relationship, no matter how different than you are, they are, no matter how different their beliefs are, you accept them and bring them in and make sure they're not alone and you demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus. It's not about just knocking on doors. Or it, it's about building a relationship and making all of your life point to Jesus. There's a million ways to skin this cat. Don't get stuck on one. Look at where you live, work, learn, and play and do that. And there's one last thing I want to get to. I want you to see how aggressive Peter gets here. Don't think mean, but he does get direct. Look at what he says here in verse uh, 13. He says, you know, that God glorified his servant Jesus, like he says, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Okay, that's, that's a tough moment right there. He says, you did this. You know how this guy got healed? It was Jesus. Let me remind you who Jesus is. You handed him over. You denied him. And Pilate wanted to let him go, and you said no. Look at verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Dude, he's piling it on now. This is getting worse. It, it, Jesus was God's servant. We handed him over and we didn't give him the chance to go free. And he's the holy one. He's the righteous one. And he says, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. We would rather let a murderer go free than let the holy, righteous one, the servant of God, than let Jesus go free. We, you chose this. It says, and you killed, this, this next phrase, the author of life. You killed God's son. Man, Peter, we should have built to that, man. I, I think you went a little quick there. But no, he's uh, jumping right into it. And he says this, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witness. He's saying, listen, you killed him? We saw it. Not going to let you get off the hook and say, uh, I didn't do that. He's like, no, no, no. We were here. We saw what happened. You killed him? 
You handed him over. You had a chance for him to go free. You didn't take it. You picked a murder over him, but God brought him back from the dead. And that's the one that healed this man. Listen, sometimes when you're getting to the good news, there's going to be a moment. There's going to be a moment that you've got to say you actually need a Savior. There's going to be a moment when we all have to recognize that the gospel requires a sickness that needs an antidote. And if you don't demonstrate the sickness, then Jesus never is the solution. Because I think there's also this challenge here. I think every single one of us, you need to hear this, we are all part of this group that denied Jesus, that chose a murderer over Jesus. We are all part of the reason why Jesus died. Every single one of us, pastors included. But there's this moment he turns it. Look at what he says in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. I, I know you didn't really realize what was happening, as did our words. doesn't matter you didn't know, but I know you didn't know. He says this, verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And the answer is this, verse 19, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Here's what he says. You did this, but there's a solution. He offers you forgiveness. Listen, if you're here today, I want everyone to hear this. Jesus died on the cross because all of us, all of us have rejected him. All of us are broken. All of us need help. No matter how clean you are or how broken you are, we all need the same amount of help. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and he came back to life three days later. And he says this, if you will place your trust in me, Repent, turn away from your sin and place your trust in me, not in yourself, not in your goodness. doesn't matter if you know that you're bad or not. Repent of that and place your trust in Jesus. If you'll ask me to save you, he says he'll save you and he'll clean you and he'll make you part of his family. Church, that's what this is about. This man got healed. These people loved and served and they wanted to lift Jesus and his good news up. And if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, but I want to encourage you, don't leave without asking him to be your savior. Let me give us a moment to respond. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to have a moment that's a time of response here. I want to ask you some questions. I don't know what God would have done in your heart, but now's the moment we should be asking God, is there something you're calling me to, something you're convicting me of? Listen, are you loving people well? Are, are, are you afraid of getting stuff on you? Listen, if, if you're not loving people well and God convicts you, can I just encourage you to repent? And I'll just tell you, this whole time, our, our altar's open if you want to pray and do business with God. We've got pastors and decision counselors down front. So are you loving people well? Are, are you living on mission? Have you been purposely leveraging your life in areas to find out ways to be used by Jesus to advance the gospel? Are you looking at where you live, where you work, how you're spending retirement, or where you go to school? Are you, are you trying to find ways to live on mission? If not, would you ask him to help you figure that out? 
for some of you here today, I mean, you saw some baptisms of people telling you they placed their trust in Jesus, but as you were hearing the word, the thing that was going on in you was, man, I need to place my trust in Jesus. I need a savior. I, I've heard about him, or maybe you haven't, but you need to ask him to save you. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you just to repent and ask him to save you right there in your seat. You can talk to any of us after the service. We'd love to help. And right there, you see, we do one last thing. Um, would you ask God to help you love people well and lean into the mission? Would you pray for him to let us reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city? moment I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing and at that time if you need to speak with someone our pastors and decision council will be down front you can easily do that or you can pray at the altar if you want but after I pray that's going to be the time for us to, to respond let me pray Heavenly Father God we trust you uh, we trust that you're good and that you're strong and that you actually want to use us and God I pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we'd be people that would love like really love people well. Pray you do a work in our hearts to help us see where we can lean into the mission. God, I'm praying you would work. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This moment, will you please stand with me as we sing one last song to Jesus?